Sometimes here at uh, First Baptist, we have talked about what, uh, what it means to sign a blank check, basically, to the Lord and say, here's my life, whatever you want, I'm signing it over to you. I can't imagine much more of a blank check than moving seven kids to Tanzania. We're going to be praying for them, obviously. We showed that so you can be praying for them, but also because it goes in line with what we are talking about today as the third essential of being a church. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're continuing our series on the essentials of the Christian faith. And it's important to know what we're aiming for as a church, what it is that we are about. Um, I don't know about you, but during the whole um, shelter in place and quarantine, especially in the early part of that, when many of us or all of us really were at home almost every day, all day, um, I found myself with lots of time that I had not had recently. Right. There was lots of free time and you we filled that free time with some fun stuff. We had family movie nights. We uh, we did some kind of stuff around the house. But then there were just those moments where you've tried to find ways to fill that time. Right. And one day I find myself and I don't know about you, if you found yourself watching strange things or things that you hadn't watched before. I found a, a day when one of the ESPN channels was just playing weird sports. Right. They call it the Ocho, right? ESPN Ocho. And there was some strange stuff on there. There was uh, chess boxing, for instance, where one round they had 11 rounds. And the first round they would play chess for three minutes. And then they would box for three minutes. And then they would play chess for three minutes. I have no idea why this game came to be, but it was on the Ocho. It was on ESPN. Or one of my favorites was combat juggling. Um... And it's counterpart where they had professional dodgeballers against professional jugglers. And your goal was to be the last juggler standing uh, while still juggling. Or the Norwegian death diving, where the goal was to get as close to a belly flop off of a 10 meter platform as possible without actually doing that because you could die. And so made for interesting thing. All right. Y'all are not as impressed with this as I thought you would be. That's okay. All right. But there was another one that's not a weird sport, but they had it on in a way that I haven't watched before. And that was championship darts. World championship darts. And I never watched world. Cha- I don't know. Maybe you're a world championship dart fanatic out there. I'm not. Um, apparently, there are the, some of these people are famous in other parts of the world. The guy in the green shirt, apparently, I don't know his name, but people know his name. He's a famous what do you call dartitian? What do you call those people? I don't know. Dart throwers, right? And here's what was fascinating about this game in particular was I didn't realize how much math was involved in it. Because there's a certain number you start at and every time you hit a number, it deducts from your score. But to win the match, you have to be the first one to get to exactly zero without going over. that. Like if you hit over that, it doesn't count. You have to hit zero exactly. So for the first few rounds, it's just throwing darts, trying to get as many points as possible. And then there comes a moment where they're like, he could go out this round, but he needs a triple 17, a a, a double eight, and a four. 
And you realize that they're having to do all these calculations in their head. They've got three darts and they've got to figure out exactly where to put it. And if they put the right dart in the right place three times, they win. And I just was fascinated for a moment about, because when you look at these guys, maybe you do, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm judgmental. I don't necessarily think, boy, mathematicians. But it was complicated math they were having to do in the midst of the match to get to the number that they wanted to get to. For instance, they were like, he wants to get to his comfortable number, which is 121. At 121, he knows he can go out. And I was just like, that's crazy. And it got me thinking about the fact that they have to know exactly what they need, what their goal is, and then they have to hit it. Like, there's two parts of that. I might be able to figure out what I need to go out. But then me hitting it is a whole different thing, right? Or I might be able to figure out how to hit certain spots. But if I can't do the math in my head to get there, that's a problem as well. So as I was thinking about that and thinking about church, I was thinking about the fact that we as a church need to know exactly what it is that we're trying to hit. And then we need to hit it. And it seems to me that sometimes in churches we get off track on what is essential. And we start trying to hit things that are not essential and it derails us from doing what God has called us to do. And that has been the focus of this series. Over the last two weeks we've covered the first two essentials. And today we're going to cover the third one. We try to encapsulate all of that into our vision statement, into our purpose statement, which is that we exist to glorify God by leading people to become passionately devoted followers of Jesus Christ. So that's the reason for our existence as a church. For First Baptist Church Goodlettsville, that we exist to glorify God. And if we ever stop trying to glorify God, if that was removed from our purpose, then we're no longer doing what God's called us to do. By reaching people teaching them, showing them how to become a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. And we're not doing discipleship. We're not discipling people. We're not helping people then learn how to follow Christ. Then we are not doing the job that God has called us to do. And what we talked about last week is the true proof that you're a disciple is that true disciples, disciples that are following Christ, make disciples. They reproduce. They have things, they have people that they are reaching with the gospel, they're teaching with the gospel, they're helping them understand how to obey it. And as our world continues to evolve and change and move, it's going to become more and more important that we understand what truly it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Francis Chan, who thinks about issues like years ahead, said this recently. Long gone are the days when we should be content with a bunch of people who sing out loud and don't get a divorce and give to missions. I now want to know that I can drop off any member of my church in a city and that person could grow in Jesus, make disciples and help start a church. That we need to be willing to be able to do what God called us to do. And that's all of our calls. And so our first essential was that we glorify God. The second essential was that we make disciples. Our third essential, if we're going to be the church that God has called us to be, is this. That we are to reach all people with the gospel. All people. Y'all know what all means, right? All. 
And we're going to look at that from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, where Paul makes an amazing statement. But before we get there, I want to establish a couple of ground rules. We want to make sure that we understand a couple of things from Scripture clearly before we get to Paul and what he describes in 1 Corinthians 9. And the first thing that we have to understand clearly from Scripture is this, is that God loves and desires to save all people. God loves and desires to save all people. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that who should ever believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The, the, the clear statement of this also is in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, where it says that God is not waiting, he's not delaying, he's being patient with us. Not wanting any to perish but all to come to repentance. That you have never come in contact with anybody in this world that God does not love and want to save. You've never seen anybody on TV. You never heard about anybody or read about anybody. If they are a human being on the earth, God loves them and desires for them to come into a saving relationship with him. Now, that's made clear in Luke 15 with the parables that are there. Three parables. One is the lost sheep, right? The shepherd has 99 sheep and one goes astray. And he goes after the one and leaves the 99 behind to capture and bring back the one. The next parable is of a woman who lost one of ten coins. And we, we assume from that that it's not just a penny, although it's talked about that way sometimes. But what is there is that this was a, a tenth of her savings probably. It was an important piece and she throws everything around to find that one coin. Or then at the last of the three, where a son runs away from the father and the prodigal son realizes his mistake and comes home. And before he can get to the house and give his explanation that he has worked on to his father, his father has picked up and run after him. And the clear message of those three parables together is that God loves people who are lost or are not with him. It's clear you can come up with lots of other interpretations and things, and you can deep dive into the prodigal son, which we have. We've done weeks on those kind of parables. But the baseline, number one message out of that is that God deeply cares. In fact, if you're here today and you wonder whether God loves you or not, those three stories illustrate for us. John 3.16, what Jesus did on the cross, illustrate for us that there is no doubt that God loves you and desires to save you. None. In fact, we know that bringing people to repentance or bringing people to salvation is the priority of God's kingdom. How do we know that? Well, we find it in Luke chapter 15, verses 4 through 7. I have this. I think we have this up there. We have it, Josh. There it is. So this is part of the lost sheep. And it says in verses 4 through 7, What man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the ninety-nine in open field Open field mean open to anybody that you're leaving them in danger. There is a possibility something could happen and go after the lost one until he finds it. When he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. Coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together and saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way. This is an amazing statement. 
There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need it. He says if there are 99 people over here and they're being faithful and they're good, God's happy with that. God's excited about that. God is rejoicing over that. But he rejoices over the one that has been brought home more than anything else. This particular verse has been seared into me because the first experience I ever had in helping someone to understand their need for Christ and leading them through that path to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior when I was a middle school student at camp. I was there with another friend of mine and then one of our leaders that was there. And I remember that the moment that that person prayed, accepted Christ as their Savior, was saved in that moment. I'll never forget. My leader looked and said, they are throwing a party for you in heaven. And I just remember that being seared in and thinking about it. So that's the first thing we want to establish for sure, right? That, that, that God loves and wants to save all people. Here's the second thing that we need to establish before we get to Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and that is this. We are God's plan. God wants to save all people. He chose us as his plan. Now, he has already given the provision in Jesus Christ. And so you say, well, I thought Jesus was the plan. Jesus is the plan. And now what it means is you and I letting people know that Jesus has already made provision and it is free and available to those who would accept him as their savior. That is our job. It's made clear in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 20. It says we are his ambassadors. And then it says this. God is making his appeal through us. I think one of the things that we as Christians have lost in our day, and maybe, you know, you talk about it in our day, maybe it's always been like that, like this, but it just feels like we have lost a sense of the reality that every day in our lives, we are the ones through whom God is making his appeal. And it depends on what kind of appeal is out there in the world for people to see is based upon how we are acting towards them. It doesn't say, hey, if you would like to be part of this program, come sign up for it. It doesn't say, hey, after you get saved, if you'd like to opt in to the serious part of the plan, then come on and do that. Paul says to the Corinthians, listen, we are his ambassadors. We are his representatives. We are the ones that are bringing the message of Christ to the nations. We are his plans. He is making his appeal through us. And so here's the truth. If it is true that God loves and desires to save all people and that we are God's plan, then we need to do whatever it takes to reach all people. Amen? That didn't sound like you believe that. Amen? That is the mission of our church. But if it's the mission of our church, it's the mission of the individuals within the church. Which leads us to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 19. Paul is writing to the Corinthians. It's kind of an interesting place because Paul has been addressing different topics with them. He'll say, now concerning, now about, 
hey, here's this. And it seems like either somehow through a representative or through a letter of their own that Paul is answering their questions. It's almost like a ask Paul anything moment and he's just answering questions or he's heard about situations. And part of what's happened is that they have begun to doubt his authority. There were some within the Corinthian church that were doubting whether or not Paul had the authority to speak and preach on behalf of Jesus like he did and if his message was true. Now, it's hard for us to believe that somebody would question the Apostle Paul these days, but they did. And so he begins to lay out his defense. And as he gets to the later part, apparently there were people saying, well, I heard him saw him acting one way when he was here. Or he said this when he was over there. And I don't think he would have ever said that over here. He wouldn't have acted that way over here. And so we get to verse 19 and he says there. Although I am free from all and not anyone's slave, I made myself a slave, a servant to everyone in order to win more people. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win Jews to those under the law, like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, to win those under the law. To those who are without the law, like one without the law, though I am not without God's law, but under the law of Christ, to win those without the law. To the weak, I became weak in order to win the weak. I become all things to all people so that I may by every possible means save some. Now, I do all of this because of the gospel so that I may share in the blessings. Don't you know that all the runners in a stadium run a race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. So Paul says, let me explain some of what's going on to you here. You have asked about why when I'm with the Jews, I act this way. When I'm with those not under the law, I act this way. And those that are over here, why I act this way? He says, I am going to do whatever it takes To win people for the gospel of Jesus Christ because that is my priority. He compares it to running in a race. He compares it to being someone that is literally running a race. And he says, I run to win the race. And for him, the race of his life has become to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. We know from Paul's life that he ends up in Rome, and we know that once he ends up in Rome, there is some discussion about this. But we also have ways to believe that Paul, when he ended up in Rome, eventually was freed and went all the way to Spain, which to him was the ends of the earth. He was trying to fulfill the commission of Christ upon his apostle to go and tell the nations. He's explaining himself against attacks. And he has already said back in verse 15 that there are some things that I could do. He could take some payment for this. He could defend himself. And he says, I have every right to do that. But he doesn't. He made no use of his rights because he wanted the gospel to spread. He was more concerned about defending the gospel than his own reputation. And he basically says, when it comes down to my life, the goal of my life is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. With everyone with whom I come in contact. So what does that mean for us? What does it mean whatever it takes? What does it mean that we are to take the gospel to reach all people with the gospel? What does that mean for us as a church? Well, it thinks there's some principles here, okay? That need to guide our thinking and our understanding, especially in a world in which we live in this, um, this pandemic world that someday will be a post-pandemic world. This election cycle year that in some days will be a post-election cycle. We need to remind ourselves of the cause for which we have been called. 
And the first thing that we need to understand is this, is that our mission is more important than our comfort. That our call to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ is more important than our comfort. How uncomfortable are you willing to be to reach other people with the gospel of Jesus Christ? How uncomfortable are we as a church willing to be to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Can I tell you almost immediately that whatever it is in your mind that you imagine, like, oh, I hope he's not going to talk about taking that away, then that may be the thing you need to lay on the altar before the Lord. Well, I wouldn't be willing to do that. Now, I'm not talking in any way about compromising the message of what we are doing. We're telling people about Jesus Christ. Because of what Christ has done for us, we are going to share that from Scripture, believing God's Word completely. I'm talking about the methods and the ways and the avenues with which we share it. And our country is littered with churches that are not willing to be uncomfortable to accomplish the mission that God has given them. They latch on to programs or to people groups or to a time period and they make making sure that stays the same, the priority, instead of the mission that God has called us to do. And the moment we as a church prioritize tradition over reaching the next generation, we have missed the mark on what God called us to do. Because that's not our mission. In fact, can I say this to you? And it's going to make some of you upset, and I know it. It's okay. Our mission as a church is not even really about the preservation of this particular local body of believers at this place in Goodlettsville. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ getting to the ends of the earth and that we will spend ourselves completely to do whatever we can to see that accomplished. And if that means that he's going to use this First Baptist Church of Goodlettsville for the next 300 years to accomplish that or till he returns hopefully a lot sooner than that, then so be it. But if it means that in the midst of using our facilities and all that we have for the glory of God, that God moves on in a different way, then so be it. Because our mission is not the preservation of a building or even of a location. Our mission is the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth, for the glory of his name, to make disciples and followers of him. And so I ask you again, how uncomfortable are you willing to be to see others reached? And you're like, well, pastor, what do you mean? Well, Paul had an example in his life of somebody he called to be very uncomfortable. When you think about Paul's co-workers, there are a few names that come to mind. Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Silas, and Paul and Timothy. And Timothy, it tells us in the book of Acts had a Jewish mother and a Gentile dad. And because of that, he had not chosen to be circumcised according to Jewish tradition. And as Timothy started traveling with Paul, if you know Paul's kind of method, what Paul would do is he would first go to the synagogues, see if there were people that were open to hearing the message of Christ, because they already had the whole Old Testament backstory, and he would begin to build the church that way. He would go there, some people from the synagogue that God fears and others would come, and uh, that were outside the synagogue, but people that knew the story of the Old Testament would come, they would be saved, they would begin to build a church, they would then bring Gentiles and others in, which by the way, Paul wasn't, wasn't interested in building separate churches for all these different groups. 
groups. He put them all together. And as they would do that, as they would go into those cities, he would go first to those that were Jewish in their faith. And Timothy's not being circumcised was a stumbling block for the Jews in communities. And so Paul says, basically, the gospel says, I don't have to do this, that it doesn't bring salvation to you. But he encouraged and had Timothy, grown male, circumcised for the cause of the gospel. Can you imagine Timothy hearing some of the things that we complain about being uncomfortable with when it comes to the cause of Christ? Some people say, so what are you talking about, preacher? What are you talking about? Are you talking about getting seeker-friendly and seeker-sensitive? And people act like that there is a distinction between discipleship and evangelism or reaching people with the gospel. What about depth? Are you saying that we're going to be a mile wide and an inch deep? No. The Bible never claims that you have two mutually exclusive ideas of deep discipleship and shallow evangelism. President of the Southern Baptist Convention, J.D. Greer, says believers who grow deep without growing wide are probably not as deep as they think they are. Because growing deep in our understanding of the gospel will always make us reach wide with telling people about Jesus. And so as we dive deep into the word of God, we realize that our mission is that we are to reach people with the gospel, no matter how uncomfortable that makes us. The second implication for us as a church, and we see this in Paul's writing here, is not only do we uncomfortable, Paul said, I, I, it wasn't comfortable for Paul to live in certain ways or talk or act or be in certain environments, but he said, I do that for the cause of the gospel. The second thing is that we need to realize that our mission is to all people. As we talk about almost every week, it seems, all means all. All kinds of people, socioeconomic classes, walks of life, ethnicities. People with different belief systems than us. They are all loved and cared for by God. The Great Commission that we talked about last week said that we are to go to Pantata Ethne. And if you break that Greek word apart to all nations, it literally means to every single group of people. When you get to the book of Revelation that shows us what is to come, it says, and they gathered around the throne from every tribe, every nation, every tongue. It means every possible group of people on the face of the earth had a representative at the throne of God singing praises to his name. And it is our responsibility to do everything we can to take the gospel to all people and to be a representative of God's people and God's kingdom on this earth. Notice the things that Paul says here about. They're all cultural elements. To Jews, I became Jews. To those without the law, I became those without the law. To the weak, in order to become weak. He is saying that that every possible group of people, every possible cultural barrier that could be there, that I wanted to break those barriers down and I wanted to share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ, which has no cultural barriers. We were to break down the barriers of ethnicity, of economics, of political stuff. I don't have a clue what's going to happen Tuesday. There are polls out there and all that. Can I tell you something? Whatever happens Tuesday, it does not change one bit what the mission of this church is. It doesn't. And my biggest concern in this election, honestly, is not what happens in the political sphere, but what could happen in the church because people have allowed politics to influence the church way more than the church has influenced politics. 
God didn't die for one set of the voting public. All means all. And after Tuesday, whatever happens in our nation, can I tell you, we are still a church that is committed to glorifying God and making disciples and seeing all people come to faith in Jesus Christ. And what I don't want to do for sure is in any way to erect a barrier to someone coming to the gospel of Jesus Christ because of my American political thoughts. Our mission is to all people. It's short-sighted for us just to think about what happens in America because God called us to think about more than that. Acts 1-8, a verse that we talk about around this church, that we use in this church, that we, we try to live out in this church. Where he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. To the people right around you, to the people that are a lot like you, to the people right around you that are different than you, to the areas that are, that are, that are different than what you know in your neck of the woods, to the United States and around the world. Our mission is to take the gospel to all people. And then here's the third thing. Our mission is the responsibility of all of us. Every single one of us is called to this mission. Now that may be in your neighborhood, it may be next door, or you may be like the McDonald family, and you've said to God, God, I can't do that. My favorite part of that whole, that whole thing was when it says that he, immediately after residency, said God's called us to be an international missionary, and I told God I'm not a missionary, thanks, basically. And they're telling that in the midst of a story where God has brought them to the point where God basically says, yes, you are. And so it may be in your job, right where you are, in your neighborhood, right where you are. But I need you and you need to be open to the possibility that it may not be. Because, again, our comfort is not more important than our mission. Here's some things I absolutely know for sure if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Paul says, it's my job to run this race, to take it, to do what God's called me to do. And here's what I know for sure. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, God wants to use you for the spread of his kingdom for people to be saved. You. Yes, he wants to use this church. Yes, he wants to use the preaching ministry of this church, the music ministry of this church. He wants to use the Sunday school ministry of this church. But he wants to use you. That isn't y'all. That's you. Individually. And he has placed people in your life. Or if you're open to being what he wants to use you for, he will place people in your life that need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. That you are specifically built to share the gospel with. I know that for sure. Second thing I know for sure is that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And will give you the power to do what he's called you to do. And so this isn't a go it alone. This isn't a, this isn't a hey, we're going to figure this out. i got to figure it all out on my own. You trust the Spirit in the midst of that. 
Too many of us just accept the fact, well, I'm not good at that, or I can never answer those kind of questions, or I can never be good at that. And again, God has crafted you specifically, knowing exactly who you are, and put you in situations where people need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. His spirit is living in sour you. He is empowering you, and it is your responsibility to do what God's called you to do. And here's the third thing I know. I know that God wants to use you if you're a follower of Christ. I know that the Holy Spirit fills you to give you the power to do it. And this is what I know for sure. Jesus is worth it. Absolutely worth it. Nothing else you can get. Nothing else you can find. Is worth what Jesus can bring. Over the last few years... There's this growing sense, I think, within our nation, within our world, within our churches. Of something that has been true since Genesis chapter 3. It's just we're not as always as aware of it because sometimes we're good at putting a facade over it. And that is that our world is messed up and broken. And it is because of the sin that is in the lives of the people of this world and in the lives of even us. And the only hope we have is Jesus. And I don't mean that as some kind of pie in the sky, kind of some, uh, some, some kind of just theory. I mean in the practicality of who we are, the salvation of Jesus Christ, and living according to the principles that he taught us is the only hope we have in this world. And my prayer is that we as a church would not only know the score we need, the mark that we need to hit, but that we would hit it. Not only that we know that our lives are to be focused on telling people at Christ and that everything else is secondary. On glorifying God as a church, on making disciples that make disciples that tell people about Jesus, but that we would then hit the mark. By the way, you know what's interesting when you make that whole dart comparison? When darts, they didn't have darts in biblical days, but the idea behind the concept of sin in much of the Bible is an archer who is missing his mark. And in our lives, we must examine at all times whether or not we know the score that we're trying to get. We know what God has called us to do, to glorify him, to make disciples, and to reach all people with the gospel. And then we have to ask the question, am I hitting it? And my prayer is that you, that we, that this church will do everything it takes, whatever it takes, to reach people with the gospel. Let's pray together. And as you bow your heads, as you close your eyes, I want to ask two questions today to two different groups of people. And the first question I want to ask is to those that may be here today and you're unsure whether or not you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You're unsure whether or not you have a relationship with him where you have been saved. And I just want to ask you, what's holding you back? Whether you're here in person, whether you're watching online, what's holding you back? Are there questions that you need answered? If so, where will you find those answers? I'd be willing to talk to you, have a conversation with you. Are there things that you worry about? Well, what, what would alleviate those worries? I can just tell you that I firmly believe with every fiber of my being 
The only reason I have hope at all in this world is because of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross for me and my salvation that comes from him. So I want to ask you today, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, would you be willing to think about that? Or would you be willing to do that today? In just a moment, as we get ready to, to conclude this part before we sing, I'm going to say a prayer that if, you're a, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I'm going to encourage you to do, whether you're here in person, you're online, I'm going to encourage you to do that. And to say it after me. And the, the prayer itself is not something magic. It's not a magical formula. It's, it's, the, it's the, the heart behind it. It's the, the will the, um, behind it. The desire behind it. It's just a simple prayer that admits that you need Jesus and you ask Him to come and save you. So I'm going to do that prayer in just a moment. But before that, I want to ask a question of a second group of people. And that's those of you here that are followers of Jesus Christ. In the last few years, we've done a couple of programs. We've done the Who's Your One program and Invite Your One. And we've asked you to think about people. And so here's the thing that I just want you to think about. Who's the one person that comes to mind almost immediately when you hear somebody in my life needs Jesus? Who's that person? Maybe you've got that written down somewhere. Maybe you've been praying for them. I want you today, in just a moment as I pray, that you're going to pray that God will give you the opportunity this week to have a gospel conversation with them. If you've got questions about how to do that, I'll be glad to talk with you or email with you. Be glad to do that. But I want you to think about it. I want you to pray God to give you an opportunity. And I want you to take action this week to share the gospel with someone. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the reality of your love. It's unfathomable how much you love us and how much you care. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. And this morning, Lord, I pray if there's any that is here in this sanctuary or listening online that have never accepted you as their Lord and Savior, Lord, that right now would be that moment. Lord, we know that the angels, that those in heaven are ready to explode in celebration over one that comes to know you as their Savior. And Lord, I pray that right now, if there are those that are listening that do not yet have a relationship, who have not been saved, Lord, that that's about to happen. That they would pray this prayer to you in this moment, saying, Heavenly Father, I admit that I am someone who has not chosen to do what is always right, that I have sinned. And that because of that, without you, I have no hope. But Lord, I'm thankful that you sent your son Jesus to die for my sins and he rose again from the grave after a perfect life. And Lord, today I'm asking you to save me. Save me, Lord Jesus. Save me. Heavenly Father, if there are those that have prayed that prayer, I pray that they will take the next step of courage to tell someone, to let them know of the decision they made. I pray, Lord, for those of us in this room that have people in our lives that we know need to hear the gospel, that you would give us the opportunity this week to share. And if there are people in this room that don't have anybody that comes to mind, Lord, that you would make us 
open to seeing the world around us and being willing to share. And we pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.